Go ahead and be seated. Um, it is uh, good to see all of you this morning, and good to be with you as uh, we get to praise the Lord and, and pray together and um, hopefully get kind of focused and, and refocused here on, on what God would have for us uh, this season. I don't know uh, about you, but um, I've discovered in my life, my life is kind of organized around, around seasons and kind of being focused on certain things and then getting refocused on others. And that's just kind of always been, I don't know, where, where I've just discovered kind of my, my life is and things, different things happen in my life at different times and I kind of feel different ways at different times. And um, so what I try to do at different times of my life is uh, I try to integrate new or different things depending on the season to either kind of get me back on track or on track or, or to kind of focus on some things that I might not be focused on. And I don't know about you, but the summer can be, uh, sometimes it, it's great. I love summer because I, I like to travel and I like the vacation and I like, I love being outside and doing all of those sorts of things. But sometimes it's also a little disoriented, orienting because I'm, I'm kind of a scheduled person and I like certain rhythms and summer kind of throws me off. Um, and so it throws me off of uh, some relationships and um, some habits that I do to help kind of keep me in relationship with God or, or centered on the things that I need to be centered on or focused on the things that I need to be focused on. And I, I assume, and just from what I can tell, I'm probably not the only one who is kind of like that. And so what we're doing as a church here in the fall is what a lot of people are doing during this time is we're asking people to kind of um, get refocused, recommitted, and kind of heading in a particular direction uh, that we believe is good for them and good for our church. And so in the fall, what we do, or it's really not, I, mean, I know for some of you, it's still August, like don't call it the fall, Pastor Josh. Um, but with the way schools and our rhythms work uh, here in this area, we all know schools are starting back up. Uh, we have a number of professors, you guys are getting ready to start at AU and all of that. So it's just beginning to, to feel like fall. And so we are, we are launching things that are really what we consider mission critical uh, to our church as we try, try to make disciples. And so we're inviting you into that. We're inviting you into that in a number of ways. One is we're inviting you in to, to participate. Uh, I, I'm inviting you in to participate in what we're doing here on Sunday mornings, but not just what we do here on Sunday mornings, really what we do to be the church. Uh, not just Sunday mornings, but Monday through Saturday, uh, which is really important that we're not just the church on Sunday mornings. This is a wonderful thing, and we got to make sure that uh, we are praising the Lord. It's good for us. It's, it's good for our community for us to come together, uh, but it's, it's often what we do Monday through Saturday that really shows whether or not we're being the church and helping people out and speaking into people's lives and growing together, and so there are three things that I, I want to point out that we're going to kind of begin training for and then even launching here probably really come September uh, the first are our Catalyst Communities. Um, our Catalyst Communities are really important to us. It's a way that we want to try to build community and relationships within our church. These are small community groups of people, about 12 to 20 or so, and then we try to ask you to kind of multiply and to build out. Uh, you get together uh, to, to, of course, study God's Word, but it's kind of almost study light and community heavy. Uh, food is almost always involved. We're usually meeting in people's houses, and you're getting to know people and building community with in the church. Um, if you are one of those people that you believe that God is starting to call you to maybe lead a Catalyst community, we have training next Sunday after church 
uh, right after church. It's about 45 minutes. Anyone can do it. Even if you're just interested in doing that, we invite you uh, to that training. Our goal, uh, because these are kind of new to our church, is to have at least 10 of these by the end of the year. I think we're about uh, seven and eight right now. So we just need to launch a few more. And so we need some leaders. I would love for you to come to that training. The second thing that I want you to think about, even thinking about being a leader in, is what we call our discipleship groups. Often short, we call them D groups. These are smaller groups. These are groups of really kind of six or less. We often even encourage five or less, basically five to three people. We encourage you, you can do it one-on-one. I always encourage at least three. A lot of times discipleship is just better in groups of three. Um, one-on-one um, is great, but a lot of times it actually, the data shows that it just kind of fails. Uh, a lot of times. Now, these are smaller groups, same sex, like man-to-man, woman-to-woman, where you are on a Bible reading plan together or some type of discipleship plan together, and there's a level of accountability and depth there uh, that you can't have when you're with larger groups. We need some leaders for this as well. We're seeing fruit from this, again, these groups. Again, our goal for for, uh, these groups are to have uh, 10. By the end of the year, we are at seven. Um, right now, we want to keep growing, and the cool thing about these groups is you commit for a year, and then what we want to do is we don't want to multiply out of these after a year, and so you can see we can kind of just grow exponentially out of this. The third thing that I want you to consider, um, and I want you to consider inviting people to this class, and I want you to consider participating in this class, especially if you're new to Christianity, and we've never offered this before. This is our alpha class. This is an alpha class. Um, And Alpha is basically a new believers class um, or an on-ramp for believers uh, and to discuss really the essentials, what we consider some of the essentials of Christianity. Dr. Varner is going to help teach this class with a a, a number of us. And so you know, too, if you are looking for something to do with your Catalyst community during the fall, this is actually a great thing to come through, come to, because you're broken up into tables, into communities. And it's, uh, it's a very easy on-ramp uh, to get to know people and also to have discussions around the basics of Christianity. It's not, nothing's going to be shoved down anybody's throat at this class. It's really a discussion-oriented uh, class. And we uh, also strongly recommend maybe somebody won't come to church with you on Sunday morning, um, but they're curious about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That class is for that. Um, it's, it's designed for that person. And so we encourage you to invite people to that. Now, because we are trying as a church collectively during this season uh, to get focused, um, last week I also called us as a church to begin 21 days of prayer and fasting. 21 days of prayer and fasting. And so what I'm asking for us as a church is to take 21 days here. We started last week. You can join us now. Uh, You can start your 21 days or pick up at 14. Um, But I'm asking that all of us, that we refrain from something and replace that something with prayer. So we fast and replace it with prayer so we can focus on the presence and God's purpose for our life during this season over uh, the next couple weeks as we gear up for this season of refocusing and focusing on the Lord and God's presence. Here's some ideas, some brief ideas of what you can replace uh, or what you can get rid of and replace with prayer. Uh, food, TV, podcast, YouTube, an unhealthy habit, social media, an app that you just go to when you get bored, replace that with prayer. Basically, anything that you can pray, uh, replace with prayer and meditation, I encourage you to do that to help you get focused. And one of the reasons I want to do this, too, is because this is type of season where we're able to really kind of lean in and dig in. As uh, Pastor Nate 
uh, mentioned earlier, you know, we just, a lot of our young people just got back from adventure camp, and, and you are, hopefully, you're fired up. You're getting into school. Um, you're going in there on fire for the Lord. You're focused on what you need to be focused for. And I'm hoping, even for you all, like I, I'm hoping over the next couple of weeks, I can help you stay that way. I can help kind of guide you into that. And, and for others of you, maybe you're not focused or maybe you're here this morning and you're like, I know I'm not focused on the right things. I know where my mind and my heart is not where it should be. Uh, and so I hope that you'll join in and you'll lean in as well. And so we're going to begin uh, this morning with this new series that we're calling Refocus. And we're trying to focus our hearts and our minds and this is very important for us because Jesus very clearly says what's, what comes out of our heart or what's in our heart comes out. Both comes out of our, mo- our mouth and it comes out in the things that we do. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be looking at this passage for the next several weeks. It's going to kind of be our launching point. It's 2 Corinthians 6. 2 Corinthians 6. I'll begin in verse 14 and I'll go through uh, chapter 7, verse 1. These are Paul's words uh, to the Corinthians church. He says this to them. He says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Three words here I want to point out uh, that Paul emphasizes, I think, are yoked, partnership, and fellowship. For a moment, we're just going to focus on yoked, which all of these words are related for Paul in the sense in which he's talking about. uh, We don't have yokes anymore, at least we don't use them. A yoke is placed on a large plow animal, typically two large plow animals, and they need to be the same type of animal, and they need to be, and the yoke is supposed to keep them heading in the same direction, but the problem is if you put a yoke or two yokes, a yoke beside each other, on two different types of animals or animals of unequal strength, what will happen is that these animals will be pulling and they will be plowing uh, at different speeds, and actually even sometimes in different directions, or they, weren't wor- they won't work together or refuse to work together because they are a different kind of animal, and so they'll try to pull apart, and they'll break the yoke, and, and so it just doesn't work. They, they understood this very clearly in the ancient world, those who had the farm and, and to be a part of this, and what, what's interesting is, is yesterday, uh, Emily and I were talking, we went out to lunch, we went down to Nashville, Indiana, I'd never been there, I didn't even know there was a Nashville, Indiana, actually, until I moved uh, back here. We were there for our anniversary because today is our 12th anniversary. Uh, so yeah, you can, uh, you can congratulate Emily on her way out uh, for, for 12 years. But we, we, uh, at lunch, she's, she, she was asking, she's like, so what, would you, what advice would you give somebody um, uh, about marriage? Like, what's the one thing that you would give? And you know, I was kind of thinking, and I do marriage counseling, like, I'm thinking about all the couples that, you know, I've sat down with, and I'm like, well, you know, sometimes different things, different things. To different people, and, and she's like, it's, it's pretty clear, I think, to, to me, to her, of what she would say, and I think she, this is probably the, the best piece of advice, advice that I would, I would give to a couple of pre, what, premarital or even in the midst of marriage here, and she said, you know, you always want to make sure you're on the same team. You always want to make sure that you're on the same team, and, and Paul understands this, and what he's saying here, in, in, in the midst of life in general, but especially, and I'm going to say this is, this is like a kind of a side thing on this, but in, in marriage, you discover this. Like you're, if, you're, if you're not heading the same direction, it makes life very difficult. And if you're not heading the same direction, you'll actually end up in different places. 
and that's never a very good, that's not a very good place to be. Whether you're, you're married or not, just when you're, when, you're, when you're partnered with people or things or thoughts, or when you think about your spiritual life, if you're, if you're, if you're partnered with people, not heading where you want to go, it, it, makes, it makes life extremely difficult. It makes life extremely uncomfortable and extremely hard. And what Paul is saying here, and not only do you want to do that in marriage, not only do you just kind of want to do this in, in life. So this is, this is kind of weird, like follow me here, Jason. My, I'm, I'm getting text messages right now. I didn't text, turn off my text messages. I just got like a, a from, from somebody who was listening, just saying like, right on. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Uh, like, so I usually turn it off. It's like popping up here. I used to turn everything off when I was a youth pastor for that reason. And I forgot to this morning. So, so I'm like distracted now as this stuff is coming up. So follow me as you are distracted. Paul is talking about this in a physical sense here, but also in a spiritual. But we separate the two. They should not be separated. Because here's the thing. It is really easy to get dragged down and distracted in life. It just, it just really is. And so what he's saying, be careful about who and what you're partnering with, with your heart and your mind. Be careful what you're doing spiritually. He continues in verse 15 to emphasize this. He says, what accord has Christ with Belial? Now you're probably like, like what in the world is Belial? Because I'm like that when I read that originally. And Belial is actually another name for Satan, which is really interesting. It's a description of Satan or a characteristic of Satan. And the word actually means worthless. And so what Paul is saying here is that what, what, why are we engaging in what seems like or can be or actually are worthless, worthless activities? And what he says is actually, like, that's, Satan actually wants us engaged in those sorts of things in our lives. Like, he wants us distracted. And that's one of the things he does, which I think is really interesting, because I think for, like, our, our times, that is probably the thing that Satan does. It keeps us involved in all of these worthless, worthless activities, and, and, and keeps us scrolling, or keeps us bored, or keeps us like just chasing after things that do not matter. And he goes on and says, or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are temples of the living God. This church is a great place. This building is a great place. We're remodeling it and like all of those things which, which we desperately need and is wonderful. But what Paul is saying here is he's saying like this, he's, he's not talking about this place that we come into and I think there's a reason to, to give reverence when you come into certain spaces and to kind of make them sacred in the way that we walk into them. But the, the, the point is, is that you are God's temple, your body, your heart, your mind. The building is not. And, and so God goes on and Paul says, as he said, as God said, and what he's doing here as he continues, he's, he's stringing together a bunch of Old, Old Testament promises that are uh, contingent 
on people o- obeying God. And so here's what he says God's going to do if, if we obey him and set our lives aside for him. He says, I will make my dwelling among them, and I will walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And so in other words, God wants to make his presence known to you. That question, I love that question that John was asking, like, when have you last heard from God? So that's part of the reason we're doing the 21 days of, of prayer and fasting, not just so that you go and talk to God, but so that you'll set time aside to listen to him. He wants to make his presence known. Therefore, go out from their midst and separate from them. In other words, don't, don't focus on what everyone else focuses on. Don't do what everyone else does. says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, and I will welcome you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. Let us refocus from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. One of my goals for you, it's one of my goals, is to stay focused for the long haul. There's this phrase used for Eugene Peterson when he died, and they said one of the things that he did, and I think he might have wrote this himself, but one of the things that people uh, valued about him is this idea of he set out after long obedience in the same direction. He, he set this goal to follow Christ and to be a godly man and to write in a godly way and, and to lead people towards God, and he did that. Although we know how difficult it is. We, we, we struggle in the same ways people have always struggled. And this is why the Bible is still relevant and it will always be relevant. It shows us our hearts. It shows us our minds. It shows us who we are as people and what we struggle with and what we think and what we feel. And these are why the Psalms have depth to them. David himself, we'll pull from David here in a little bit again. But, you know, David even says, How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? This is a man after God's own heart, day after day. I have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? This is a common experience of people wrestling with their thought life, of people wrestling with the depths of their heart and thinking like, man, it is just not what it should be. My heart's not what it should be. Paul himself, who's like the super Christian, right? I mean, he's written about 25% of the New Testament. The, the, the church, Paul's the one who wrote 2 Corinthians here. The, the church... Uh, largely owes a lot of its birth and its expansion to the work of Paul. And Paul in Romans 7, which Romans is like the book Paul writes, he, he talks about, he's like, I do all of these things that I don't want to do. And then all of these things that I do want to do, I don't even do. Like, does anybody ever feel like that sometimes? Yes. And so he, he talks about that. Like, man, I'm doing, like, it's just, this, there's a struggle that I have. And then he gets to chapter eight and he says, but there is a way out. Like, I don't have to live there. And neither do you. And so he gives us this correction to our life, to our thought life, and to our hearts. And here's what he is telling people to do in Romans 8, verses 5 through 13. He says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds. In other words, like there are people who are focused in a particular way here. They set their minds. They're focused on the things of the flesh. And so what are they actually focused on? What are the things that distract us or harm us? And he says, the, the things that, uh, when he talks about flesh here, he's not talking about just like what you can see, but he's actually talking about the poor desires that we have, the sinful desires that we have, the unhealthy desires that we have, anything that is not Christ and his spirit, anything that is not good for you. And by the way, 
the reason that we all struggle for these sorts of things is because we're born that way. I mean, that's, we're just, we're born into that. And so what God is always calling us to, and what we even mimic in baptism, this is why we're calling you to, to baptism, is God is always calling us to a rebirth. It's to be born out of that. Like, it's to say, like, that's not where I'm going to live. That's not where I'm going to allow my thought life to live. That's not where I'm going to allow my heart to remain. And so he, he continues here. He says, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds, they focus on the things of the Spirit, they focus on God's will, they focus on what God is telling them, they focus on where God is leading them, and to set, their mind, and to set the mind on the flesh, this is why they're going to do that, because to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And in a way, that's something that we are all after. We are all after life. We, we all want to live as we are called to live, to be who we should be. And we want to have peace, knowing that even when we're not, God is with us, but also that God is leading out of us, out of the life that we once lived. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not of the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Just because you have those thoughts, just because you have unhealthy desires, just because there's evil in your midst, doesn't mean that you owe any of it anything. Like that's, that's not who you are. Like that's, that you, you, don't, you, you don't owe death anything. You don't owe sin anything. You, you, don't, you don't owe that voice or voices in your head telling you that you're awful, that you're evil, that you're always going to be this way, that you're always going to give in, that you always got to look at that, that you always got to be addicted to this. Paul's saying no to that. And you can say no to that is what he's saying. He says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And so if you feel like you're kind of focused on some of the wrong things in your mind and your heart has been in a particular area of your life, what Paul is saying is that you actively have to put it to death. You are actually part of the battle. That yes, the Spirit is among you and the Spirit is working but you have to work with the Spirit to focus. And my goal this morning and next week is obviously, like I can't answer all uh, of those voices in your head um, or things that you battle with, but I, I want to I point out three this morning and hopefully kind of help you replace them uh, with different thoughts or um, an area to refocus your mind and your heart in this morning. And so I want to talk about basically three distractions here that often produce death in our life. I think just the common ones. And uh, because they're common, uh, they're ones that we probably speak of pretty often here. And, and the first is, is real simple. It's fear. It's fear. The reason we speak about fear a lot is because it's a primary motivator for human beings. It is. It, it might be the motivator. Uh, it's, it's one of the things that motivates the most people or keeps people from doing the things that they should do. Fear is a great paralyzer. It keeps you from moving forward. It, it, it keeps you from getting sleep. It has a physiological effect on you as well. It makes your body ache. It'll cause anxiety. And so I think this is why Paul writes to Timothy, that God did not give you a spirit of fear. He didn't give you that. And it's, it's, why, it's why in the Bible we see roughly 
God in some way through the scriptures telling us not to fear roughly about 365 times. And so there's this, there's this almost call, if you wanted to like look up every day a different verse about not fearing for every day of the year, you could in the scriptures. A few weeks ago, I uh, asked you to kind of um, write down a, a personal mission. Like, who do you think God called you to be, uh, to do, to move forward, and reminded you that God has a purpose for every single one of you. God is walking with you and wants you to move forward and has uniquely wired you and gifted you. And here's the thing about fear, is fear will hold you back from that. It will keep you from reaching that, and it will keep you from moving forward. It'll keep you from doing the things that you know you can do, the things that you're called to do, even things that you know, I should not be afraid of this, but you're just simply not doing. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we were at uh, Dale Hollow. Um, I love going to the lake, um, and uh, so that's what we did for our vacation um, this summer, and, and so we, we went to the cliffs one day, and we were at the Wolf River and, and the cliffs, and there's like these different levels of cliffs. Starts probably like the, the small one starts anywhere from like 10 to 12 feet, and then it probably goes up to like 20, 30, 40, and I think up to like 50 or so feet, and depending on the water level and, and stuff, and it moves up and down. And so uh, we, we went there and, you know, take our kids, and um, I've got three young kids. And uh, so they, all the kids, for the most part, at the cliffs, they're all stop, starting at the kind of the, the small cliff. And uh, so all three of the kids go up there, and um, my two oldest, uh, who are, uh, especially my oldest one, like he's actually kind of afraid of heights, but he goes and he jumps right off, and then my middle one, she goes, and, and she jumps off. And then my youngest one, who, and believe it or not, is the least afraid of heights out of my three. Uh, he has no problem, like he scares me to death. Like I'm kind of afraid of heights. We'll be at the Eiffel Tower, Kings Island, and he'll walk right up to the end, or if you're at a hotel, like he'll walk to the edge and just look over. Like I think you can fit through these bars. Be careful, you know. But he doesn't care. So he, like, but but he walks up to the edge of the cliff, and he he looks and he goes to jump and he just freezes. And uh, at at this point, I swam back to the boat and uh, he looks and and he you know he he freezes and he's you can see him like just tensing up. I mean he's like I and he he walks back. And he stays there. And, you know, a couple people jump off, and he comes up, and comes up to the edge. And you, I mean, you know, it's like he's just, like, he's kind of frozen, and you see him shake his head, and he's just, he's defeated. He's like, he, he can feel, he's being defeated. And then he walks back, and he stands back, and, and some others go. And at, at some point, I mean, it's, we're like, 20 minutes into it, and, you know, people are, there's just boats around. People are, like, cheering for him, because at this point, there's this five-year-old who just keeps walking back and forth, and, and one lady, no joke, one lady, I think it was her granddaughter, just starts screaming, girls are doing it, like, like I'm like, you know, like, we don't know what that means, but I'm like, but so he, he does, we get about an hour into it, and I'm, at this point, I'm like, Hey, JT, like, don't worry about it. Just come down. Like, just, just come down. Uh, but he, he just, he refused. And so he, he finally, uh, about an hour in, he goes up, and all these people have done it over and over again. He's watched, and we've been there, and we didn't have anywhere else to go. We're on vacation at the lake. Like, uh, 
but it was kind of getting weird just watching him go back and forth. I, there's some point, like, are you a bad parent or not by leaving him up there? Uh, so after about an hour, he, he you know, just kind of goes, and he jumps. And so I'm like, all right, well, maybe we can leave the cliffs now. And he swims back, though, and he climbs up. And so I'm like, oh, well, okay, maybe he's going to do it again. Well, what he did is he got to the 12-foot cliff, and he just kept going. <laughs> he got to the 20-foot cliff that his siblings were afraid to jump off of, and everybody else's age was mostly afraid to jump off of. He walked straight to the edge, <laughs> just goes in. Did it over and over again. Like, so now we're here watching him jump off the higher cliffs and leaping off a higher cliff. And what's, it, it's just, it was kind of like, all it took was the one off the lower, and now he jumps off the higher. And, I mean, here's the truth about our, our faith in general when it happens to, to fear is, one, is that faith is often categorized as a leap. Like, we know God, we know, we know God is with us. We know we're going to be okay. We just, we, we've seen even other people take it, but, but we've got to do it, and what's really cool about faith, and when you exercise faith, is when you do it once, it often leads you to do it again, but at a much higher level, so be very careful, be very careful with how much credence you give your fears. If, if you're one of those people who's allowing you to hold fear back, here's what I want you to do. I want you to learn to trust God. Every person has reasons to fear. Every person has reason to fear. David himself had reason to fear. David went and defeated Goliath, and he said, hey, God, same God that was with me with the bear and the lion as a shepherd, he's going to help me defeat this man. Well, at that point, David has a call in his life. It's clear he's going to be king. Other people are telling him that, but the king at the time doesn't like that. And so now does David not only have to face off against Goliath, but he's running from actual armies that are after him. And it, of course, he was afraid, but he had ways of dealing with this fear as he's being pursued. And here it is in Psalm 56, 3 through 4. He says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid, what can flesh, what can people do to me? Some of you, you just might need to memorize that. It's a really easy verse to memorize. Right? When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. And so if you're partnering with fear, here's the thought that you need to change. I will trust God. I will trust God. Right? What can people do with me? Do to me? In 2 Corinthians there 7. Uh, that end of verse 1, what we're told to do is we're told to fear God. Nothing else, no one else. So many of us, we don't do what we, we know that God is calling us to do. We don't believe the things that we're, God is calling us to believe simply because we fear people and not because we fear God enough. God is no respecter of persons in that way. I, I have called you to something different. I've called you to something bigger. I've called you to something better. Fear me if you're going to fear anything. And fear not fulfilling my calling on your life. Don't put your focus on fear. Trust God. The second area I want you to focus away from is negativity. I am convinced that negativity for a general, just in general, is just a pollutant to our hearts and our minds. 
Uh, I personally do. I'll be honest with you. Like, this is just a personal struggle of mine. I don't like negative people, uh, uh, unless it's me. Uh, but, <laughs> but that's just because I'm a realist, right? <laughs> yeah, you got it. You know it. So, yeah, Emily every once in a while says, but, you know, it's football season. Like, I'll just tell you, um, you know, I, I love fall. Like, football's my thing. I know I kind of like the head coach of the wrestling stuff, but, like, football's where it's at. Fall's the best season. And, and if you ask me the seasons, it's, it's, it's fall. And I, I grew up in a kind of small town like this. A number of uh, different small towns kind of went to our school, and it was a, it was a football town. Um, I grew up watching teams win state championships. And so, like, it was a, a football culture that was kind of, like, expected of, of people is to, to be good at that. And, and it's kind of, you know, it was, it was that sort of thing. And, and so uh, being a part of that culture was actually, it was a lot of fun. And it was, it was really interesting, some things that I noticed, especially I noticed as I, I ended up uh, just playing Division three and all those sorts of things. But some of the differences in people that came from different cultures and programs is growing up, I never heard. I never heard we couldn't beat them. Like, I never heard when we were preparing to play somebody or to do something like, oh, we can't win. And, and we've, we really lost because of that. Rarely. And um, I remember getting to, to college and, and people from different programs and stuff like that, if there would be a big game or whatever. I remember every once in a while, like, hearing somebody like, say, yeah, I don't know if we can beat them. And I, half the time, like, I would either give them an earful, <laughs> like, don't you ever say that, or I'd just be like, I don't want to be on the same field as them. Like, I, I don't want to be uh, on the same team. Like, you're you're going to lose before you even step on the field. I'm a Herman Edwards guy. Like, you play to win the game, right? <laughs> like, and to do that, you have to have that, that, that mindset. And for me, you know, as somebody who believes that that God is with you, that God is in you, that God is for you, we can have a very similar mindset in the way that we live our lives. God, like even death, we have victory even in death. And I I tell you this, to try to get rid of negativity, not just because of the power of positive thinking, like that's, I don't think that's always great either. Like some things are bad. You just have to name it. You have to be able to distinguish the difference between light and darkness. But you also have to think about you, you also have to think about things the way that God thinks about them. And, and, and God isn't in the business of just kind of giving up or thinking negatively about everything, or just giving everything over to darkness. And so if you're a negative person, you, you might need to work really hard on focus seeing in a different direction. And thinking, I think more like God thinks, which is in a victorious way. So here you go. I will think more like God thinks. In Isaiah, here's a verse maybe you can memorize or think about or pray through. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you, whose mind is focused on you because he, what? He trusts in you. Many of us right now are spending so much time focusing on things that are bad. And so all we see is the darkness. And maybe we're listening to things or we're watching things and they're just tapping into the darkness. They're just tapping into the darkness. They're tapping into your fear. They're tapping into the negativity that is out there, and they're just teaching you how to curse the darkness all the time, right, and how to be mad and upset at everything, right, and it's, it's hurting our hearts and our minds, and it's, it's causing them to decay, and I'm not saying that some of that's not out there, it is, but we often need to look at the darkness, and we need to see it as an opportunity to shine the light, and we need to help 
people, places, our communities, our country, our families, the individuals that we come in contact with, we need to help them have and see a positive vision for, them, for their lives and for themselves. And so this includes, by the way, we speak to other people. So not only will you think the way that God thinks, but you need to be saying the things that God would say and hopefully the way that he would say them. Now, we're all often going to get this right or wrong sometimes, and that's okay. But you at least need to give some effort towards this here. Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Do you hear that? Like Your words either tear people down or they build them up. You have influence over people's lives by the way that you speak to them and the things that you say to them. And again, I, I'm a, like, and I, you know, I sometimes struggle with this because I actually, like, I am kind of a, a, a little bit of real. Like, if things aren't going well, I'll say it. But I'm also, I also am a firm believer in if something's not going well, like, it's time to get it fixed. <laughs> like, so if this isn't going well, well, here's the vision for this. Well, let, let's do what it takes to get over here. And this person has what it takes. But not only that, if you're just constantly saying and seeing what's wrong with the world or what's wrong with other people or what's even wrong with yourself, what it does is it shows your heart. It's just not in a good place. And so you want to work out of that. You want to work out of that. So I ask you to work out of that over these next several weeks in prayer. And the last but not least thing I want to point out is something that we rarely even talk about, I think, in the church or a lot of churches talk, rarely talk about anymore, and maybe not, uh, um, it may or may not be the case, but as I sometimes listen to sermons and, and talk to different people, um, both of these words that I want to talk about um, and activities, I feel like we talk about less, and yet it's the very thing that Jesus came to save us from. The, the, the beginning of Matthew's gospel, when it introduces Jesus, he's going to come to save us from our sin. And come to save us from our sin. The word for that in the Greek is harmatia. Simply means to miss the mark. Simply means to miss the mark. And away, it means to we're just you're going in the wrong direction. We all know that sin leads uh, to death. Ultimately, it doesn't lead to life and peace. And so we wonder why so many of our lives are out of whack and even like they're not as good as even they could be. And uh, Again, like you making jokes about Packwood's people this morning and Hicks. Well, I grew up in a small town. You know that, right? Like, <laughs> Backwoods stuff is stuff I enjoy doing. Uh, like, I bought a, my grandpa's bass boat last year. Like, that's, like, you know, the shinier the better, that sort of thing. Um, no, but, but so I grew up, like, hunting and fishing, and that's what I did. And, and so one of my friends growing up, uh, he was the eighth-ranked trap shooter in the world. Uh, so we would shoot pretty often, and I would watch him shoot. I'd be like, how do you get to be that good? And he said, well, he said, Josh, you're doing it wrong. He said, you're, you're shooting your, your shotgun kind of like a, a rifle. He said, when you actually tr- shoot trap, you've got to follow it because it's, it's moving, but as you follow it with your gun, what you actually have to do is you keep both eyes open and aimed at it the entire time, and then you, you, know, you, you pull the trigger when you just feel like it's the right t- time to pull the trigger, basically. And he said, most people, he said, like you, they just, they don't, they don't keep focus with, with both eyes and they don't follow it correctly. And so, but he said, what's, what gets you ranked in the world is knowing how to do that right. 
and what's interesting, I think, for most of us, and what's, I think, applicable for most of us concerning this, because many of you are, are followers of Jesus, it's not that you don't have kind of one eye aimed on Jesus. It's that you don't have both. Right? And, and so you're, you're, you're almost a little divided in what you're doing. And so you have this part of your life that isn't really focused and, and this part that, that is. And, you know, sin is often creeping in and it it's, can kill you. I mean, like, both metaphorically and, and, and figuratively. And so a, a sermon like this and an initiative like this to, to get us praying and to get us fasting is to get us focused. It's to get our eyes off or divided on some worthless things and destructive things and activities, some pollutants, and to get us focused on the Lord. And for some of you, if you're new with us or if you're searching here, what I'm calling you to do is to get focused and to do what we're called to do, which is this next word I want to introduce to you as we look at Acts 13, because there's a response to sin that God calls us to. And these are people, when they're asking, what do we do in light of Jesus and him saving us from our sin? And Paul responds like this. He says, repent. Then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that at times of refreshing may come to the Lord. So if any of you, you just know, like, hey, my life's not exactly as it should be right now. My relationship's not exactly as it should be with the Lord. What should I do? Right? Repent. We, we don't like either one of these words a lot of times in the church, but the church's job always throughout history, this is the beginning of the church here in Acts, has always been to call people to repentance. It's not to tell people how bad and awful they are and how God hates them, but it is to tell them, right? God has a different way for you. Right? Sin will destroy you. Sin will cause death. So now's the time to turn. Now's the time to change. Now's the time to make some decisions in your life, to turn from sin and to God. And so the commitment that I'm asking you all to take, if this is piercing your heart and your mind, is a turn, it's a turn to what God wants for your life. Turn to God. It's then what we're told that times of refreshing will take place. So here's my question as we kind of land the plane here. Do you thirst for something more? Do you thirst for better? Do you even wonder, like, how am I going to get all of these things done that I feel like I need to get done? Maybe it's by eliminating some things that are keeping you from focusing on the Lord or that are worthless and turning to God. Are you here this morning and you're, you're thirsty for God? Repent and come to God. Jesus tells us this. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus is asking you to come to him this morning. What has Jesus laid on your heart? What do you need to go to him for? What do you need to pray for? What do you need to ask for? What do you maybe need to eliminate and turn from? What fear do you need to set aside? What negative thoughts do you need to get rid of? 
here's simply how I'm going to ask us to respond. I'm going to ask you all to kind of stand, and we're going to pray before we go into the next song. Um, I've asked some of our prayer team to be over here in the prayer nook. If you have something that you want prayed for specifically, feel free to leave your seat and go over there to the prayer nook. We also have a prayer wall, and write your prayers in there. Um, we encourage you to do that and to be a part. This is a great time to respond and, and sing, and then I'll come up here in a moment and dismiss us. Father, we come to you right now, and I pray, Father, that uh, we would not be yoked, we would not be um, attached to anything or anyone that we know is leading us down the wrong direction. I pray, Father, that we would focus our hearts and our minds and our lives completely on you at this time. Help us, Father, fulfill the purpose that you've given us on our lives to experience your presence and your goodness. Remove any fear that we might have that we know is not from you. Teach us how to fear you only. Teach us how to trust in you. Remove the negativity from our hearts, from our minds. And help us with our sin. Father, we know that we're forgiven. Help us not, therefore, to be slaves to the flesh. And just walk away from that. If there's anything in our lives, Father, that we see that we need to turn from so that we might have life, so that we might live, so that we might hear from you. We pray we turn from that and turn to you. And we know that you're always asking us to come to you so you might give us rest, life, peace, and joy. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.